when we gather on Sunday morning for worship, we do so intentionally. We do so thankfully as a people growing in grace and gratitude, thankful for the gospel in our life, thankful that he never gives up on us, thankful that he calls us to that deeper place. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. This morning, our scripture reading comes from the New Testament book of Acts. If you have your Bible with you, would you turn to Acts chapter 10? And we're beginning our scripture reading in the middle of the passage at verse 34. But you do need a word or two of, by way of introduction as we come to begin at verse 34. You'll find it on page 1710-1710 of the Church Bible. In Acts chapter 10, there is a decisive change in the narrative of the book of Acts. Many of you are aware that over these last eight or nine weeks together, we have been spending Sunday morning in Acts, and the main focus has been on the impact of the coming of the Holy Spirit, the transforming power He comes, and what it means to live with the Holy Spirit dwelling within, and the transformation He brings. And most of it is centered in downtown Jerusalem. But as you get into Acts chapter 8, certainly 9, and now in 10, the gospel begins to break out beyond downtown Jerusalem. And that's where we're going. There are two main people involved, and you're going to see it in our study in a moment. Cornelius, a Roman centurion, and also Peter. God gives a vision to Cornelius and asks him to send for Peter. At the same time, he speaks to Peter and he says, Peter, I want you to go and visit Cornelius. He will send someone for you. And so Peter arrives, left Joppa. He goes north about 40 miles to the city of Caesarea. And when he arrives, of course, Cornelius is expecting him. He's gathered his family and friends. And so that gives you a little bit of introduction. And Peter begins to speak to the people who had gathered. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, and everyone who believes in him receives the forgivenesses of forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, 
the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us his holy word. Now, I've already said that in chapter 10, there is a distinctive change in the book of Acts. And it begins, if you've got your Bible, let's flick back to the beginning of the chapter. I could explain all this to you in the next 10 minutes, but if we read it, I think you'll get it in a much quicker fashion. So in order to understand the latter part of the chapter, let's go to the beginning of the chapter. Chapter 10 at verse 1. And the first thing you notice is this, that it's now taking place outside of downtown Jerusalem. That's where the focus has been, as we mentioned earlier. Chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now in the midsection of the chapter, Peter also has a vision and we're about to see that in a moment. But a couple of things to fill in the background in relation to Cornelius. First thing you notice is he was a centurion. Second thing you notice is that he was given responsibility for leadership in the Italian cohort. The Italian were an elite regiment for folks who had distinguished themselves in terms of gallantry and valor. And the third thing you need to grasp about Cornelius is this, that he was given permission, and this could only come by fiat of Caesar himself, to live off base with his family. That was not a typical pattern. And so if you think of the movie Gladiator, do you remember the movie back in the early 2000s with Russell Crowe? That's the kind of individual you're dealing with here in Acts 10. He was a remarkable man who had significant authority, but the most important part is this, verse 2. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed regularly. And God was already at at work in the life of Cornelius. He was calling him to a much deeper and richer relationship with himself. Here was Cornelius and Caesarea being told, please send for Peter. He's in Joppa. He will come to you and explain what's going on. Now, while all of this was happening with Cornelius, it was likewise happening with Peter. Peter. 
And God begins to give a vision to Peter, and he says, Peter, I want you to go and visit Centurion Cornelius. He will send men for you, and I want you to go there and speak to him. Now, please remember who this is. This is Simon Peter, leader of the apostolic band, leader of the disciples. He had watched miracle after miracle after miracle. He had listened to the teaching of Jesus. He'd watched it impact and transform lives. Peter's own life had been changed. Do you remember in the early chapters of John, he looks at Peter and he says to him this, he says, you are Simon, but you will be Peter. You are, but by my grace you will be And I think if I took a brief survey this morning of who was your top five favorite people in all of Scripture, a number of us would put our hand in our hearts immediately and say, Peter, we like Peter. He grows in stages we can understand. At times he messes up and we entirely understand why he messes up. Other times he's rash, he's impulsive, he speaks before thinking, and certainly that's where I'm at. And I would say Peter is absolutely towards the top of my list of favorite Bible characters. And the other spectacular thing is this, that Peter never gives you the impression, even in writing his two epistles at the end of the New Testament canon, he never gives you the impression that he's arrived. He's got it. He has it all figured out. In fact, it's the very opposite. Again and again and again, you see the grace of God breaking into his life, taking him to another level, exposing him to new thoughts and new teaching. And that's about to happen here. And it comes as a major surprise to Peter. And it comes as a major surprise for this reason. The following day, the day after Cornelius has given his vision, around noon, Peter is on the roof of the house. He's trying to get some quiet time to pray. And in the midst of that prayer, he falls into a trance. And he has a vision of a large sheet being lowered down from heaven. Not just once, not twice, but three times. And when God gets your attention and does it three times, you better pay attention. And that's exactly what he's doing with Peter. And inside that sheet, he says to Peter, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And there are animals and reptiles and birds that absolutely are anathema to Peter. Now, why are they anathema? And in fact, Peter's instinctive response is this, surely not, Lord, surely not. Now, of course, as soon as you read that, it's self-contradictory. You can't say, surely not, Lord, because if he's Lord, you've got to do what you're asked. But he says, surely not, Lord. And why does he say, Lord, I don't want anything to do with these animals? It's for this reason, that when Peter was little boy growing up, His whole background, his heritage, his custom, his tradition was, of course, Jewish. And Jewish people, even to this day, will have nothing to do with certain types of animals. And that was running through Peter's mind. And he looks at these animals and he thinks, I would never dream of eating them. And God says, Peter, kill and eat. Now, Peter was brought up, and please be patient with me, I'm about to get technical, so please be patient with me, and we're going to go a little deeper. 
Peter was brought up under what was called the Old Testament law. And the Old Testament law was an umbrella term for what? Rules and regulations when it came to sacrifice. Rules and regulations when it came to what to wear. Rules and regulations when it came to what to eat and how to pray and feasts and festivals and festivities. All of that was encapsulated in the Old Testament law. But there were classifications of Old Testament law. That was called the ceremonial law. In other words, when you went to the temple to sacrifice, you had to do it particular animals at particular times on particular days. Likewise, when it came to prayer. Likewise, when it came to clothes to wear. That's the ceremonial law. Now, the moral law, and this is a little simplistic, but bear with me. When you think of moral law, think of the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet your neighbor's home or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You shall not blaspheme. And so there's moral laws then mixed in with, I am the Lord your God, worship me alone, keep the Sabbath day. And so the moral law is contained in the Ten Commandments. The ceremonial law is contained in what to wear, how to sacrifice, what to eat, and so on. That was Peter's upbringing. The ceremonial law has been replaced. The moral law has not. So as Christians, we are obliged rightly to adhere to the moral law because with Christian belief comes Christian behavior. And the moral law is every bit as applicable today as it's always been. Now, the ceremonial law, and someone may ask you in this sense, they might say, now, you go to church, but there's whole sections in the Old Testament that talk about sacrifice and what to wear and what to eat, and somehow you don't seem to believe that. I thought Christians believed both Old Testament and New Testament. And our response is this. The ceremonial law that once was there talked about obedience and love for God and sacrifice, but the sacrifice that happened at Calvary replaced the Old Testament sacrifice because the sacrifice that Christ gave of himself fulfills all that the Old Testament talked about. Now, Peter was beginning to see that and sense that, and he was getting it. Remember at Pentecost, he talked about the gospel and the impact of the gospel. He talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit and the transformation that came with it. But he was still holding on to tradition, upbringing, custom, heritage, and so on. And here in chapter 10, the distinctive change is this. That when God gives to Peter a vision, he's saying, Peter, please hear this. Get this. This is crucial. I did not simply come to bring salvation to folks with a Jewish background. Neither did I come to bring it to those simply who live in Judea or Samaria or any other race or geographical location. Peter, I brought salvation for all humanity. 
And those who are Gentiles need to hear the gospel every bit as much with those with a Jewish background. And that was what was going on. In other words, God was saying to Peter, I'm about to take you to a deeper, fuller, richer understanding of the gospel than you have understood up to this point. And when God begins to do a work like that in us, we need to pay attention. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. Because Peter had no desire to go and mix with a centurion. In fact, when he arrives at Cornelius' home, he says, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to have contact with you. And Cornelius says, well, let me tell you what I've experienced. And once he tells him what he's experienced, then Peter begins to speak about Christ, about his impact, the transformation he brings into life, his resurrection, the cross, and he does it spectacularly. So all of that is taking place there. So here's my question. When God begins to bring something to your mind, and He begins to work in your heart, and He begins to get your attention, and that may be in your marriage, or in your prayer life, or how you engage with family members, or your relationship with Him, when he begins to draw to your attention again and again and again, please do not be surprised if he is about to surprise you and shock you and take you to a whole new level in your relationship with him. Let me see if I can illustrate that. And it's this. I'm sure I've told you this before, but it's worth and it's certainly appropriate to our passage this morning. About 14 or 15 years ago, I remember it quite distinctly, I was walking through the shopping center in Inverness, Scotland, where we lived at the time, and I met a colleague in ministry. His name was Callum Mackenzie. It's hard to get a more Scottish name than Callum Mackenzie. And so I met him and I said, Callum, are you well? He said, yes, I'm doing fine. I said, what about Catherine and the children? He had adult children and grandchildren. He said, yeah, we're all well. And he said, Richard, I have a story to tell you that relates to Catherine. And I thought, oh dear, there's something wrong. And he clearly could see I was a little concerned. He said, no, it's okay. It's, it's, it's a good story. You'll enjoy it. And he said, yesterday morning, Catherine had been in town and she'd been busy picking up bits and pieces of clothes and stuff for grandchildren. She'd picked up uh, some groceries. And after about two or two and a half hours, she was just done just tired. She noticed a Starbucks. She thought, I'll go in. I'll sit down for half an hour. I'll have a cup of coffee. I'll relax. So Catherine goes in. She orders a Kit Kat biscuit, a cup of coffee. She picks them up at the end of the counter. She lifts her bags. She turns around. There's not too many seats left. In fact, there was one seat left, and it was at a table where an older man was sitting. And so she kind of approaches it and says, excuse me, do you mind if I join you and sit here? He said, absolutely feel free, and goes back to reading his paper. So Catherine sits down, she drops her bag, she puts her coffee down, and she's sipping her coffee, and the man who's reading his paper kind of smiles and nods, there's not much of a conversation between them, and then he reaches out and he picks up her Kit Kat, and he breaks a piece off, and she thinks, 
okay, there's something going on here, and she thinks, now, I'm a pastor's wife, I'm supposed to be nice, I'm not going to do anything silly or embarrass myself, and she kind of smiled and nodded and thought, I'm not going to be taken advantage of. She took the Kit Kat, broke a second piece off, went back to her own coffee and uh, her Kit Kat. Now, she's slightly embarrassed and uncomfortable, and the man, he's feeling there's something going on, so he kind of hides behind his newspaper. Then after a couple of minutes, he reaches out, lifts the Kit Kat, breaks off the third piece, starts to eat it, and she thinks, that's it. I'm done. I'm just not going to put up with this. So she reaches out, takes the fourth finger of the Kit Kat, starts to eat it, and just as she's doing that, he gets up, clearly annoyed, stuffs the paper under his arm, and walks towards the counter. And at the counter, he purchases a donut. On a plate, he picks up a knife. He goes to the furthest possible table away from Catherine, which is now free, and he sits down and he quarters the donut. And you can see him kind of relaxing and thinking, well, I'm glad that's over. And Catherine drops her coffee into the trash, and she sees all this taking place, and something in her changes. And she thinks, okay, I'll show him. So she picks up her bags, and she walks over to the door, and because he's close to the door, she reaches over, picks up a quarter of the donut, pops it in her mouth, smiles and nods, and leaves. <laughs> she's now outside the shop. She's in the shopping mall. She thinks that was it, uh, feeling so brave and courageous. She can't wait till she gets home and tells Callum and her family and her girlfriends and all of that. And then she puts her hand in her pocket, because her hand's a little sticky for a tissue. She puts her hand in her pocket and discovers her own Kit Kat. Some of you are not there yet, but it's going to come. <laughs> she had been eating his Kit Kat. It wasn't hers. Now, transfer your thinking to the poor man. A lady asks, can she sit down? And he behaves very graciously, says, yes, of course. And she sits down. She's drinking her coffee, he's reading his newspaper, and she reaches out and steals a piece of his Kit Kat without even talking or asking permission or anything. And not just once, but twice. And then when he makes it clear he wants nothing to do with her and sits as far from her as possible, she accosts him a third time by stealing a piece of her donut. Can you imagine that story? Now, you know, of course, that story is going to be told every time the family get together for Thanksgiving and Christmas and everything else. And my point in all of that is this, that when God brings you to a place that the surprise is so jaw-droppingly overwhelming, and the only thing you can do is say, yes, Lord, what he is saying to you is this, you are but by my grace you will be. And please hear me when I say this. These are not the words of Jesus that are patting Peter on the back saying, Peter, it's not a big deal. Every cloud is a silver lining. It will work out. He's doing the very opposite. He's speaking with transformational power. He's speaking with creative power. You are, but by my grace you shall be. And he's saying to Peter, 
Peter, the gospel is much greater than you could ever imagine. It is so much better than you could imagine in your wildest dreams. It's richer, it's fuller, it's better. And Peter, when you walk with me and I reveal myself to you and I refine you and mold you and shape you and fashion you, Peter, you are in for the ride of your life. And it is spectacular and wonderful. That's the gospel. And when we gather on Sunday morning for worship, we do so intentionally. We do so thankfully. As a people growing in grace and gratitude, thankful for the gospel in our life, thankful that he never gives up on us, thankful that he calls us to that deeper place. All of that is contained in this passage, and our only appropriate response is not, surely not, Lord, but to kneel in deep humility and say, yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. And thank you for all that it means to us because we find within your word that you never abandon us. You never give up on us. You refine us and change us and fashion us to be more Christ-like each day. Father, challenge us in the areas in our lives that need to be challenged, whether it is in marriage or our prayer life or our walk with you. Father, speak to us this week. Refine us and enable us, please, to follow you. Father, hear our prayers, for we bring them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us Wednesday evenings at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Greenville. Our Wednesday Advantage program includes an affordable meal and elective classes for adults with Bible study and music for youth and children. Visit firstpresgreenville.org or call 235-0496 for more details.